0: This is Eretz Pod, the podcast of Yeshivat Eretz Hatzvi. We offer timeless Torah insights and timely reflections on the Parsha. Support for Eretz Pod comes from listeners like you. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode. There's a classic comic strip. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but if you haven't seen it, called Calvin and Hobbes. you ever seen Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah. Okay. You know they 're named after philosophers, right? You got that part so so uh, Calvin, those of you don 't know, so Calvin is this little rambunctious um, six year old who sometimes says things that you would expect a 25 year old to say and sometimes he does things that sorry, a 3 year old would say, but whatever um, and his, uh, and his compatriot is, uh, is uh, it's unclear <coughs> um, sometimes he's a stuffed animal, and sometimes he 's just a, just a regular tiger. Um, and you can read the philosophy of Watterson on, online and his ideas of it. But there's one that uh, sticks out in my mind that the stuffed tiger, uh, Hobbes, is walking along and turns to Calvin's January 1st. I guess it's January 1st cartoon. And, um, and the tiger turns to a little boy and says, so did you make any New Year's resolutions this year? To which Calvin Badarko Bakodesh, says, what? Me, make resolutions? I'm good enough for the world. The world should make resolutions for me and become better, etc. Um, and then he turns to Hobbes and do you make any resolutions? And Hobbes says, yes, I, I made a resolution to be more tolerant of humankind, but it's not going so well. Um, why do we make resolutions? So I know in, in the non-Jewish world, January 1st, and reflected in Calvin Hobbes, that's very common. But we might make a resolution for all, you know, make a decision that where we are spiritually in our lives is not perfect. Someone does something, you know. I think the reason here is because probably they thought on a night on January 1st, maybe they, they drank too much, December 31st, and now I want to make a not to drink again. I know many people on uh, the day after Purim make the exact same resolution. The next Purim, I'm not going to do this again. In fact, it's really going to be the Megillah, Megillah, in the Mesakh's Megillah. I'm not going to do this again, um, but we know, I talked about this on Friday. I talked about this on Friday a little bit, those of you who were there. Um, there seems to be a, a split in Jewish thinkers on whether or not increasing one's obligations, taking on new stuff, being mocker in on oneself, is a positive development. That's Rabban. Or is it a less than positive development? And that's not the goal. The Torah said enough things out. That's really the Rambam's main central position. But here we come to these resolutions, um, these, these resolutions in the beginning of Parshas Mato, they almost kind of stick out. But Moshe El And unlike the Calvin Hobbes story, here the Torah is making a very serious uh, threat, as it were. If you make a net or you make a decision, and you make that in the lushin of a net or you make the language of of an oath, you want to increase your religiosity, you have to take that very seriously, says the Torah. Don't fail. Don't say something, you're going to fail. I'll tell you, how many of you guys keep three hours between, milk, between meat and milk? Everyone says milk and meat, but they don't even eat meat and milk, right? Three hours. How many people have three hours? It's okay. Anyone keep one hour? Everyone says it's a Dutch Minhag. It's not true. I don't know why everyone says that. It's actually the Ramah in Poland. You guys are going to go to Krakow. Go to Krakow, open up a Shulchan Arach. Rama says the Minhag in Krakow is keep one hour. I don't think you should. Since the I think you keep six hours. But I'm letting you know that in here in Krakow, they only keep in Poland. They only keep for one hours. So it's actually a Polish min not a not only a Dutch min It's so strange how like it's like French fries. You know, French fries really weren't invented in France, as the Americans know because they're freedom fries. But that was like you know, the war really probably and, you know probably probably created Holland. Okay, they can debate over that. Um, so. Six hours, three hours. So there's a pressure to keep six hours. Another post team say keep six hours. So in odd enough places, in Shmirat, Shabbat, Gehuchatah, in a footnote, right, it comes up, what if someone decides they grew up keeping three hours and they want to keep six? So on Orbach said, you should keep six. But, but, he says, don't decide to do that or don't tell someone to do that if you know they're going to fail. Don't take on those obligations that you don't think you can do. That's what Torah is saying here. Why exactly? It's put here is a little odd. Um, the, uh, it's almost like we've finished everything. We're about to go into Eretz Yisrael, and then all of a sudden, there's this discussion about taking on New mitzvot, adding upon yourself of your own decision. I'm guessing the Torah put this way because the Am are standing at Uri Yardane. They're about to cross the Jordan River. They're going to Eretz Israel. They know they want to be on a higher religious plane. They want to be on a higher stature religiously. And therefore they want to take stuff upon themselves. The so Torah says, that's great. That's great. You should. You should think about it. Like Shonza Warbach said. Keep three hours. I'm not telling you to keep six. But he says, if you're a person who wants to, like, take that on, which was the dominant, Hagler, the Rambo, whatever, do that, but only do that if you can. If you're going to assure you you're not going to stumble and fall. That's the danger, I think, that the Torah is spelling out here. It continues to talk about the odd case of a girl who decides she wants to do it. For whatever reason, she's going to take on new obligations. And there's this strange caveat that her father or a husband can nullify them especially if there are conflict of interest between husband and wife Shalom Bayit seems to override that um, we could talk about that at a longer length but I think this idea of taking on obligations is a fascinating one I don't know if you guys have read it's a beautiful, beautiful short story by the great Yiddish writer Chaim Grada it was translated in English I don't know if any of you guys read Yiddish did you read yours? by chance? Do you read Yiddish at all? okay, fair enough so I just bought a book of Yiddish poetry by Heschel. My kids are all making fun of me because I don't speak Yiddish, But those are translations. Um, I got a five check at the good sale. In any event, Hein Grata wrote this powerful story. I tell everyone, you should read it if you want. I'll send it to you. I have the old translation. It seemed that Ruth Weiss from Harvard have a new translation of it, um, like this past month, an annotated translation, which I'm very excited about. But um, Hein Grotter wrote this, this, this short story called My Quarrel" with Hirsch Rasner. In the story... And the story takes place before the Shoah, right after the Shoah, or but right a few years before the Shoah, right before the Shoah, after the Shoah. And he was discussing. He was in a, a he was in a uh, yeshiva, Mussar yeshiva, and left Chaim Gratz himself stopping from. But one of the guys he was with ended up going to the camps. He ended up going to uh, I don't know which one, but was imprisoned one of the prison camps. Um, and then was was released, and he was uh, a super vehement mutzernik. And um, at before the war, he wouldn't read any secular books; he wouldn't read any secular studies. And after the war, uh, they meet each other in Paris. I don't know; I've never been to Paris. I've been to Paris, is a place where there's like all these big statues of like Galileo and Socrates, etc. So they're walking around seeing the statues in Paris. They actually bump into each other. And the one who had gone through the camps, the other one lived in New York. The Yiddish rider escaped and went to New York and became a famous Yiddish rider in New York. The other one went through the camps, and he's famous because he used to, in um, one of the cases, he used to dig through. Um, uh, Rabbi Ever told me this, it's, it's like a well known thing about this, Rosh Hashiva, that he was at one of the places they executed people, and he would jump into the pits to see if anyone was still alive after the Nazis had gone in and dragged them out, you know, going to the, the horrors. So, so, um, After the war, they have this conversation, and the Yiddish writer who's stopping from, who doesn't keep me throat at all, is trying to talk about the grandeur of the secular world, and the the Rosh yeshiva, who've been with him in in yeshiva as students together, uh, was talking about how important Judaism is, Um, and it's a powerful story, but one of the things that stuck out at me, which is relevant here, is he says... We don't want fewer obligations. You think after the war I want fewer obligations? I want the to be heavy on my shoulders. I want to be a person who feels God always. And therefore, I will take on more obligations. Some people are like that. They want more obligations and that can be very good if you can keep them. Um, if you're the type of person who wants to go the straight and the arrow, that's also really good. There are different paths. Those paths are important. Both paths are totally, equally, equally valid. Um, but the key is, is if you're going to take on extra obligation, just always remember to be, uh, be true to your word, true to yourself, true to your God. Thank you for listening. You can dedicate and sponsor an episode by visiting our website at eretspod.org. That's E-R-E-T-Z-P-O-D dot org. Leave us a good rating wherever you get your podcasts. It will help others to find us. We really appreciate your support and thank you for learning with us.